G'day and welcome to Leaders of Men. I'm your host, Nick Warner. In a society that yearns for legitimate male role models, I speak to men that are forging the pathway to a healthy, integrated masculinity. Dara is Ireland's leading men's mentor and co-founder of Inward Bound Psychedelic Retreats. He's passionate about personal transformation, shamanism and spirituality. He holds a genetics PhD from Trinity College in Dublin and is interested in bridging the gap between science and spirituality, knowing the two ways are one. He has a grounded approach to exploring spirituality, creating the space for people to connect to what resonates for them without dogma or judgment. Working in circles and one-to-one with both men and women using different modalities such as the breath, meditation, dance and embodiment, helping guide his clients inward to find their connection to their authentic self. He's currently excited about psychedelic science and the best practices holistically and medically in working with plant medicine. I hope you enjoy. The function of leadership is to produce more leaders, not more followers. Leaders of men. And welcome to Leaders of Men, Dara Stewart. How are you, brother? Really well, Nick. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolute pleasure, mate. Uh, It's nice to see you. What does masculinity mean to you? Straight in there. Great question. Straight into it. (laughs) And, you know, this is a really big question and one that I definitely contemplate any time I do men's work. Um, uh, I think it's, you know, when I think of masculinity and I think of the kind of societal traits that we have uh, in our minds when we think of masculinity, like strength and presence and uh, direction and focus, you know, I, I feel that, you know, they can also be um, present in uh, femininity too. Uh, So it it, it can be a little bit tricky to kind of draw the distinction between like what is truly masculine? Like, is is there anything that is actually truly inherently masculine or is it some sort of um, spectrum, you know? Um, I'm starting to think more and more in terms of uh, yin and yang when when I hear maybe masculinity and femininity. You know, they both can be present within each other, but maybe in, in men, some uh, traits are uh, more advanced or more um, progressed or, or stronger. And then same, same in women. Um, so I think it's, it's a pretty, it, it, I think, you know, you can think about it in lots of different ways, uh, philosophically, um, psychologically. Um, but for me... Uh, I definitely feel that, you know, masculinity is kind of having um, responsibility um, about your actions and behaviors and being able to stand up for your truth, being able to speak your truth and um, ultimately as well, presence. And I, I really felt the sense of, masculine presence when I spent a lot of time in India and got to learn about the sort of Vedic cultures of, you know, Shiva and Shakti, you know, and uh, Shakti, uh, the, the kind of creator and Shiva is the presence, the witness. Um, and for me, you know, I felt like I had one of the biz- biggest experiences of feeling uh, that uh, with the birth of my daughter only three weeks ago, I've never felt more in my masculine or more in my uh, Yang than that experience where I was basically holding the space, 
being present, being there, being stable, grounded, supported, being that anchor for the creation or the birth of a new life. What a beautiful experience that must have been. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I did, I, I really, really felt that, you know, I really felt that, that energy, you know, and, you know, I think people can get triggered or lost in these, in these words or these terms. Um, and it's not to say that a woman can't experience that masculinity if she is witnessing the birth of, of, of a, of a child. And because I think, you know, we, we, we're ultimately like, non-dualistic beings at the end of the day even though we experience everything in a dualistic world so um yeah i thought it was a really beautiful experience and a really visceral one to to feel in the body i think there's um there's something about the word masculine and feminine that really does create this kind of friction for a lot of people um, and there's the concept that a mother is in her masculine because of the traits that she needs to kind of step into. Um, she needs to be organized and structured and protective and these kinds of things, which are inherently considered masculine. So I know other people call it like alpha and omega or receptive and... Um, can't remember the other term that they use but basically uh, words that are not cannot be mixed up with male and female or man and woman and it, it, sometimes it's easier to digest mm -hmm. what was the catalyst that got you into men's work um the catalyst for me definitely was uh yeah, kind of in around the time when I started to, to really work on myself uh, quite intensely. Um, in my, my early 20s, I suffered from depression and anxiety uh, because three kind of major things happened in my life in a very short space of time. Uh, I was in a long-term relationship and that ended. Uh, my grandmother died and then I was in the middle of my PhD studies. So all these kind of things compounded and sent me into a kind of a deep, dark uh, depression. And I started to work on myself to pull myself out of that depression. I was having, you know, existential crisis, high functioning anxiety, kind of getting on with things in the PhD um, kind of identity crisis. And I really started to, to push my development. And I feel like in a short space of time when I was seeking and I had the, the help of, you know, some great people and uh, plant medicines and psychedelics to really uh, kind of catapult my growth. And when I started to feel like I was really getting somewhere and doing really, really well and starting to feel really well, uh, two colleagues, two male colleagues in my institute committed suicide. And for me, I was kind of like in a space of, oh, my God, if if I had have just, if I maybe hadn't known that these guys had these issues that maybe I could have been vulnerable with them about my issues and I could have talked about them because nobody was really doing that at the time, you know, only in the last number of years, I think men are stepping more into vulnerability and there's a lot more spaces and safe spaces for guys to connect on that kind of level. 
And I only, I, I really felt that, well, if these guys only kind of knew the simple things that I started to pick up on and started to learn and started to do that, maybe their lives could have ultimately been saved. So that, and in and around the time as well that I started to meet a lot of kind of uh, what I'll say is conscious individuals, you know, people who were, you know, navigating life in a more holistic way a more open way a more aware way. Uh, 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 so they, they, those men kind of came into my life at the right time and it kind of started to organic, organically happening. Uh, the guys were meeting up, you know, going on walks, going on hikes and um, this sort of thing and uh myself and one of my um my uh friends at the time and he's now my my uh, business partner with the retreats we run in the netherlands inward bound and uh the, the the men's work we decided to create a create a space for for men uh to connect to open up to share to discuss different themes and topics in a kind of open vulnerable safe uh, manner and originally the men's group was started as a kind of a space for psychedelic integration more so it was called the psychedelic brothers so it was a space that hadn't really been created in ireland to talk about altered states of consciousness uh, esoteric stuff everything any anything and everything was all, was welcome you know there has been many men's groups in ireland for years uh, but we felt there wasn't one at the time that explored these kind of more taboo topics. So, you know, talking about sexuality, shadow work, masculine and feminine energies, and relationship to the father, relationship to the mother, all these really cool topics. And so that that's really how it started for me. I had this kind of deep feeling that, you know, I really felt that, you know, those two men that took their lives, that could have, that potentially could have been me if I hadn't of, really um got myself together you know and it, re it really really could have been and you know and I also saw a lot of guys at the time really suffering in silence and I knew this because when I started to be happier myself other people were asking me you know well, what are you doing you're so happy things have changed you have long hair and you're growing a mustache and you're going to festivals and you're you know really looks like you're enjoying your life like what are you doing what what's changed for you so i felt like this this needs to be shared and um i just felt that that calling and felt that sort of urge that if i don't do it you know who else is going to step into that at, at, at that time so um it's been over five years now since we had our first uh, psychedelic brothers meeting <laughs> And um, it's kind of evolved and shifted and, and changed over the years into um, kind of more traditional men's work. So it's been a, a really beautiful process. It's beautiful. It's, it's quite a common thing, isn't it? That we, so many men, if not all men, are going through the same shit, but they think they have to do it by themselves and they can't share it because... They might appear less masculine and then suddenly they find out that one other guy is experiencing the same thing. And they're like, oh, God, thank goodness for that. And then they oh. open up and then the next. Yeah, absolutely. And then the sort of for me, what I, earned, what I learned very early on was the, the fast tracking of your growth in those spaces, because you're sitting down, and you're listening to 30 other stories, narratives, viewpoints, perspectives 
experiences you can you can you know live through that almost and ask questions how did you navigate that how did you overcome that challenge what was it like to feel that how did you process that grief you know you could just really learn really quickly you know so it was it was so beneficial for me it was just like this reciprocal energy you know I was holding space but also being held at the same time uh, because I was also sharing my vulnerabilities and you know letting everybody know like you know I'm I'm in it just as you guys I'm learning I'm growing I'm trying to trying to do my best you know uh so it was this beautiful kind of alchemy in the very early days of a lot of people coming together and uh supporting one another mm. and it's, it, it still happens <laughs> it reminds me when i first started my men's circle here in berlin you know, after 12 months of doing it or so i'd be at work and i knew that i'd have like i'd leave work and then get to the men's circle and I'd just be exhausted from the day. And I just, ah, oh, fuck. You know, I don't really have the energy for this, but through the process of the circle that would happen, I would just be filled up and it would just, I would feel amazing. And it was, just, I'm so happy that I, every time I'm like, fuck, I'm so happy I did that. Like it's a really beautiful process that works for everybody that's involved. It's super nice. So you have a three-week-old daughter. If you have a 12-year-old son at some point, what is the most significant thing that he needs to know? Oh, great one. Um, oh, that's a really good one. I think it will be... Um, mm, oh, that's a really good one. A few things popped into my mind there. Uh, stand up for what he think is, thinks is right, you know? ultimately it kind of feeds into you know speak your truth and uh you know back up your truth with whatever evidence you know i'm a scientist so that's what i try and do <laughs> with uh your your own evidence so you know i think it's it's really important nowadays for men to speak their truth and to stand up for what they feel is right in the world you know and i think as men we need to we need to do it for people who don't have the privilege, uh, don't have the resources and don't have the platform to be able to do it, you know? Um, and I feel that the more people that speak up and speak their truth and speak uh, for what they feel is right, I think the better things will be in the world, you know, things will start to hopefully change and put the pressure on people who have the decision-making process to sway society and communities. Uh, so I think that is probably one of the most important things I think you can teach um, a boy or uh, uh, a little girl. Who knows? <laughs> it's such a it's such a powerful concept because there's. I was reading uh, No More Mister Nice Guy again, and there's a book called The Boy Crisis, um, and Robert Bly, author of Iron John, speaks about. He calls them soft males and. There's this tendency for, for now, they call it a progressive movement, but for society to kind of push this softer version of masculinity, mm -hmm. somebody that's less aggressive, somebody that's nicer, somebody that is not the way that toxic masculine uh, or the toxic masculinity is perceived in these circles. But by doing this, 
it's created a society of men that are unable to stand up for themselves and mm -hmm. lack boundaries. So suddenly you've got this, you know, on one edge you've got this inverted commas, toxic masculinity, the overly aggressive type. And then at the other at this end of the spectrum, you've got these men that just can't stand up for themselves. And I think it's a Jordan Peterson quote says, if you think strong men are dangerous, wait till you see how dangerous weak men are. Mm. This is the exact, exact point of it. Like we're at a time where people need to be able to stand up for themselves. And as you said, the people that have, don't have the ability or the, the privilege to, or the opportunity to, we need to be able to stand up for them. And, um, I love that that's the thing that you would really ingrain into your son because for me, it's super important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I was kind of discussing this with a friend the other day. And, you know, my feeling is that society has made things too comfortable for us, <laughs> you know, and a lot of people are happy with the status quo. You know, why would I, why would I speak up? You know, I have a house, I have, you know, nice cushy trainers, I have a nice soft mattress, you know, I can go to the shop to get all my, my food and, you know, there's no, there's no sort of impulse to, to shift or change anything when you're completely cocooned in a bubble and you're, you're safe and happy and, you know, it's kind of like that uh, Roman saying, you know, let them, let them eat cake, you know, give them games and let them eat cake and they'll all be happy and won't say anything and they won't push back against the, you know, this kind of uh, subtle coercion or control or whatever it is, you know, um, and Jesus, I don't want to go down conspiracy rabbit holes, but I think we're really seeing that with, you know, the loss of basic human rights and, and you know, the kind of these sort of regulations and uh, I I've, I've really feel like they're overstepping boundaries and I think people need to speak up um, and we need to hold that sort of warrior archetype to, you know, enough is enough. No, that's a little bit too far, you know, and especially when things go against constitutions and, uh, you know, the the rule of law and the people's law. So I really, really feel that. And that's quite topical in, in Ireland at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting period of time as this civilization as we knew it starts to crumble. What's an uncomfortable truth about you? <laughs> an uncomfortable truth um, let me think um, I have a few uncomfortable truths I think <laughs> um, I'm definitely uh, I definitely doubt myself a lot I have a, I have a, a strong a strong like, disbelief in myself sometimes that area of my mind is always um, quite active and I think I really struggled with that when I was um you know, training as a scientist and doing my PhD, the the classic imposter syndrome. You know, I always I always felt that you know I knew nothing and I wasn't good enough. And why do you know who, like who am I to be doing this? You know, all of these kind of um sort of narratives would, would play in my head. And you know, I still still definitely feel that. And I think it, it ties into another uncomfortable truth that I'm a kind of high level procrastinator. <laughs> I sit on. I sit on ideas and I sit on plans and um, things for for eight for ages, uh, so yeah, they're definitely two uncomfortable truths that I'm kind of 
dealing with at the moment. And I, I think it's it's very alive at the moment, you know, because I'm in this role of the father now. And it's like, oh, shit, like, she's going to find out that I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm just winging it all. But, you know, babies are just happy to be kissed and hugged and changed and, um, you know, rocked to sleep. So, um, but, it, but it's, it's definitely an interesting one. And I work with a lot of guys one-to-one on those kind of self-limiting beliefs and those kind of narratives. Um, but I do feel those things myself. Hmm. When was the last time you cried in front of someone else? Um, yeah, definitely um, in the delivery room there three weeks ago. <laughs> um, you know, um, I think the, the pregnancy with my partner uh, was definitely a challenge, uh, a challenging one for us because it was, a, you know, a, a surprise. Um, and with that comes a lot of things to navigate um, in terms of, you know, finances and home and, um, I think a lot of the shadow comes out uh, in 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 the relationship or around these things. So we, you know, had a had a tough time trying to you know meet on certain things and figure stuff out. Um, and that was kind of underlying for the whole the whole nine months. And you know, pregnancy is really hard. And like, fair play to women for for going through it. You know, firsthand being with your partner and and seeing you know, the hormonal changes and the toll on the body and the toll on the mind and the loss of identity and the changing and, you know, uh, personality and everything um, is, is really, really um, challenging for the man, but uh, way more for the woman. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just on the other end of the, end of the stick for it. Um, but, you know, being in that delivery room and going through the labor, it was, it was a long labor, 20 hours uh, through the night and, you know, I really understood the word catharsis for the first time, you know, and I've had cathartic experiences with psychedelics and with breath work and then dancing, but really watching her come out and just, it was just the floods, the tears, the, the joy, the happiness, and then also the sadness and the, and the, the grief and the pain and everything was just, oh, coming out. And, you know, I know I didn't know didn't care who was in the room there was five other people in the room and you know the two the, the two of us um just really being in that moment was uh in, incredible uh, and then hearing that cry for of of the of the of my baby you know my daughter uh, for the first time is also a really profound experience and just hearing that that uh that voice, it kind of triggers some sort of primal instincts in you of, whoa, <laughs> here she is, <laughs> you know. What was the grief and the sadness about? Um, I think the grief and the sadness was, it was, you know, probably the death of the old me, to be honest, something that I had been contemplating over the last number of months of, you know, uh, I was kind of like, oh, shit things are going to change. You know, I'm no longer going to be the same person. Uh, my reality is going to be different now. And, you know, with that, there comes uh, acceptance in things will have to change. And, you know, a big part of my problem was resistance stuff, you know, <laughs> of, you know, what I want to do, where I want to be, or how my life's going to look like, you know, I was I always felt I was on this direction. And, and then hearing about the, 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 the pregnancy was kind of like, oh, I'm a little bit off tilt now. And, you know, am I going to suffer with that? 
or am I going to resist it? Or am I going to make this a beautiful opportunity as well? A gift, you know, I think any child coming into the world is a gift um, in most circumstances. So, um, yeah, just trying to really let go of, of, of that, that part of my life in that moment and kind of stepping into this new, this new life and this new role. And then also a lot of sadness for, you know, how myself and my partner were maybe having a challenging, a challenging last number of months. But, you know, I think when you have this little thing in front of you, everything just washes away <laughs> to, to the big, biggest, um, to the most extent, I think, yeah. When was the last time you were out of integrity? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> out of integrity. Mm. Wow, that's a really tough one. Um, yeah, I think definitely probably getting triggered on my partner and, you know, having, having a go at her, uh, you know, raising my voice. And not like holding that sort of energy that I, I try to put out into the world and, uh, you know, the energy that I uh, speak that other people should do. So I felt like that was kind of going against my grain of who I feel like I am. It was definitely uncharacteristic of myself to, to, to do that, you know, um, and yeah, I think sort of being caught in that emotional re triggered response and then almost seeing myself after it's going ah, that <laughs> it got the got ahead of me you know and that for me signals you know more meditation but you know the last number of weeks have been uh, tiring and um you know i also have to cut myself some slack but uh yeah that was only, only a week or two ago and you know we made up and apologized and talked about it, but yeah, definitely not holding the energy that I, um, I feel that I should, it, it, it kind of got the better of me. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine it's easy to have a solid, steady practice with a newborn baby. No. And, uh, well, I think the first few weeks is kind of your routines a bit turned upside down. Now, you know, I have been making time for myself, which is great. And my partner has been really great in that. And that I have been getting my, my space to do the things that I, I know I need to do to keep myself healthy and well, kind of like my, my daily practice. And, but I know myself when my daily practice starts to slip, you know, and I don't do those things. That's when I start to feel, you know, the loss of center or the turbulence or, um, you know, I'm not making the right decisions or I'm not getting the clarity that I need. So, you know, even with the baby, we've kind of come to a, um, kind of agreement that, you know, we we're trying to work on my partner getting the morning time and I'm getting the evening time to kind of do those things that we need to do to keep ourselves focused. You know, my partner likes to uh, do tarot and journaling and um, kind of uh, ritualistic drinking cacao. So, you know, she gets to do those things in the morning and then I, I get to do my, you know, my stretching, my workout, my walk, my meditation or my, my you know, kind of self-study in the evening. Then we kind of have that, have that, that balance. So it's always about balance, isn't it? <laughs> Beautiful. What are you most afraid of? Mm. 
there's a, I think a few things. Um, and I think one of the biggest ones would be, you know, so yeah, let me think. There's a, one or two things coming in there. Not leaving some sort of legacy that I'd be like happy with or proud of, you know, I feel that I can make a contribution hopefully to communities or society or the planet and that if that isn't realized I think I'll be pretty annoyed at myself and, and ask myself the questions of you know why why couldn't I have done more or you know should I have spoken up for myself more <laughs> or uh, you know shared my views or opinions or my work and um, yeah and then also maybe have, watching uh i don't know the psychedelic renaissance go backwards again maybe due to people um you know and not working in integrity or, or ruining it for everybody in terms of some of the sh shady underground stuff that's happening out there with um with plant medicines and stuff like that i think we've done really a lot of a great work around it in the last number of years and you know i think it's on the right trajectory trajectory so i hope there's no um setbacks around that but that, but that for me also ties into you know my belief and my sense of identity around the work that i do so is that a loss of you know my identity and i kind of went through that a little bit with covid because everything that we had built in the first kind of year and a half was completely stopped all our retreats were cancelled in the netherlands and it was kind of like whoa who am i now without my work you know who am i without my my passion who am i without my the thing that I do, you know, so I kind of went through that a little bit and it's kind of just a shift in maybe your labels or who you think you are. So maybe that won't be as, as uh, kind of fearful <laughs> if it does happen again in the future. Do you think that's possible that the psychedelic renaissance goes backwards given the trajectory and this, the pace of, where it's headed? Um, well, depends who's in government. You know, I think whoever who gets in, who pull, who pulls the purse strings at the end of the day. Um, you know, I think in, in the way I think it could go backwards. One of the ways is that the medical and pharmaceutical model will take over the kind of holistic and shamanic and uh, kind of more is it even Eastern approaches? Maybe not Eastern, but, um, you know, you say you can't operate unless you have a psychiatry degree or a psychotherapy degree, you know, so anybody who's, who's in the space like myself and who has trained experientially uh, will not be able to practice or will not be able to have an input into how things are done or um, how things are you know, delivered in, in the West. Um, so, you know, that's why, you know, I'm looking at covering my bases now and doing some sort of psychotherapeutic training and um, which will also, you know, benefit my, my work. And, um, but I really feel that, you know, I'm look, um, we're looking at Ireland and seeing, you know, it's only 2006 when uh, suicide mushrooms are banned in Ireland. And we're really hoping that, will be maybe one of the first countries in Europe to maybe re-legalize them or use them in some sort of therapeutic framework. Uh, but if I'm 
I'm allowed to work in Ireland legally. I might have to be a therapist. I might have to be, you know, part of some, um, you know, psychological board or something like that. So I'd like to see both operating simultaneously. I think, you know, the Western model works for some people and the holistic model works for some people. I think both of them go really well hand in hand. And I think um, it would be a real disservice to, I think, the indigenous use and the sort of power of psychedelics if we completely say that whole side of working with psychedelics in a naturalistic retreat context is complete um, crap or unsafe because it's not. Mm. Um, and I think that will be, in, in essence, going backwards a bit. I think we should move more into the, the opening you know, less, well, some regulations, but not complete, a, a complete tightening. I guess, uh, ultimately, if they did turn around and say that that holistic side is unsafe or illegal, then it really, nothing changes from where it's at at the moment, because it still happens at the moment, um, regardless of the rule of law. Yeah, but there could be more, more of a clampdown, you know, in terms of, you know, I know a lot of these kind of retreats will post online on Facebook and Instagram. They're very easy, easy to find. And I think, you know, most kind of um, drug enforcement agencies don't care about these sort of things because, you know, it's they're not bringing in the big money compared to the more hard drugs. But there could be a, a kind of zero tolerance approach, you know, and you know, some people could be made examples of, and then that would spook the whole underground community. And, and yeah. then people won't operate anymore because of, you know, people getting serious jail time for, mm. you know, having mescaline or ayahuasca or, or, or something like that, you know, um, and that's probably just down to the lawmakers again. Yeah. What's your deepest desire? Mm. Oh, deepest desire. Um, deepest desire hmm. Jesus Christ are great they're really straight in aren't they <laughs> um, definitely to reduce suffering in the world I feel reduce suffering in, in myself and also the world um, because I really feel that you know, well, suffering is an amazing catalyst for growth and it was for myself, but there's a lot of unnecessary suffering there in the world that can be mitigated very, very easily. Um, you know, poverty, world hunger, um, a lot of people's anxiety, mental health problems. And right now in my life, I think that's my biggest desire. I really feel that the pandemic has really mess with a lot of people and there's a lot of unnecessary suffering out there you know if we had the better if we had better mental health resources and more mentors or guides and even most of the therapists i know they're swamped they can't take anybody i've heard even people going into hospitals in ireland not being able to get a therapist um, just because they're swamped so you know this is unnecessary suffering and if there's less suffering in the world, people will be happier. People will be more fulfilled. People will be, you know, less angry, <laughs> you know? And I think the pandemic, there's, there's been so much suffering that it's created such anger and such divisiveness between people. You know, you're, you're causing my suffering. You know, you're the people over there who 
or a non this and non that and anti this and anti that you're causing my suffering but you know it's some we all know it's it's so much deeper than that you know mm. um with how society is constructed so hopefully yeah i can do my bit to reduce uh, a bit of suffering in the world it's a beautiful little desire there mate what is it you are creating what i'm creating I think I'm trying to create for me on a personal level, uh, a life that I feel has a uh, purpose, uh, fulfillment, um, that is, uh, authentic and true to myself. And I think by creating that for myself and kind of putting that out there that other people will see that they can have that too. Um, you know, my story is that I, you know, didn't uh, have uh, any sort of um, uh, drug use until my mid-20s or substance use until my mid-20s. Um, I was very straight-laced. I was, you know, high achiever going in this direction, wanting to become, uh, you know, a, an academic, a professor, and... At one point in, in that, I just felt like, well, this isn't my truth. This is, I'm not being authentically me. Maybe, you know, I've been subtly, um, you know, pulled in what society thought I should do or my parents thought I should do or my teachers or my peers. And then I actually got to a point where, well, this isn't fulfilling me. This isn't my authentic self. And, you know, I started to, to actually suffer because of that. I felt, you know, boxed in. I felt narrowed down, closed in. I felt like my self-expression was all kind of, uh, you know, uh, boxed in. Uh, so when I really started to challenge those narratives and push against uh, what I thought I should be doing and what I actually wanted to do for, for me, that that is when I started to feel happier. That's when I started to you know, connect more with myself, connect with other people who I really started to get on with kind of uh, these amazing people started to come into my life and, you know, attracting in different situations and different people and different opportunities because I started to live in my truth and my uh, authenticity. So I really feel by creating that for myself, it kind of is almost like a blueprint or a template for others and, you know, sharing things vulnerably uh, being open and being real ultimately um, gets reciprocated. And I've really, really found that in a lot of the retreats. If I just be myself, <laughs> other people can be themselves too. And there's no judgment, you know, and it's, there's a, that sort of beautiful alchemy then of, you know, real connection of depth of a meeting of souls and um, beneath this kind of these masks or the surface level. What would you love for men to know with every fiber of their being? That you deserve love. That's a really big one for me. And I think not a lot, of, I think a lot of men out there um, don't feel that. And it maybe stems from that mother wound or the father wound, um, you know, of, of these kind of uh, um, abandoned uh, feelings or these feelings of, uh, broken relationships early in life or rejection and you know I think this kind of hyper masculinity or toxic masculinity or this armoring that men 
build up so much more so than women is is because of this this lack of um uh, self-love or feel that they're worthy of love or that they deserve love or that they can receive love and so you know i hope that doesn't sound too kind of (laughs) woo-woo for some guys out there but really like if that makes you feel uncomfortable look at it you know really do look at it you know there was that book um uh, learning to love yourself um can't remember who was off the top of my head maybe gay hendrix i read that book and i was like oh my god at the end of it, i was like i don't love myself like how if i don't love myself how can i truly love other people how can i be truly um a loving partner in a relationship if i you know think this way about myself and you know i've, I've been very fortunate and very lucky that i've i have very loving parents and i've always felt their love but maybe sometimes I wasn't open to receiving that love and, you know, was self-sabotaging um, due to, you know, self, self-worth issues or, or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I'd, I'd, I'd say to that question. You deserve love. <laughs> Final question. If you could carry one memory with you from this life into the next, what would it be? one memory Oof. <laughs> that's great it's kind of like the because kind of karmic imprints that we leave in ourselves which ones do we which one do i actually maybe consciously get to have in the next life one yeah Ooh, that's a really tough one um one memory i think i think it would be something very simple like when I first kind of got meditation, when I first kind of understood like, oh shit, this is meditation. You know what I mean? This kind of like just being, you know, just, you know, once you kind of, you know, you kind of get that, once you kind of, you know, understand that and feel that, then everything else just unravels because you just get it. Like, you know, it's kind of like, ah, I understand. I understand gratitude. I understand presence. I understand mindfulness. It was just, you know, once you just go in that being state and it's just you and you're just, there <laughs> then i think that's that's really the start of the journey and that was the start of like a lot of, of my journey and was just kind of getting that so like if the next incarnation of dara just maybe understands to meditate <laughs> i think that's uh, uh, you know that that future person is going to have a, a healthy and happy life <laughs> yeah that's a handy skill to have straight off the bat isn't it yeah like those those kind of kid monks you see them in you know Tibetan temples they're so lucky you know what what have they done to get incarnated straight into a Buddhist monastery that's where I want to end up (laughs) amazing brother so how can people find you what have you got on offer Um, a little bit more about that yeah great so on Instagram at Darius Dewey and if they want to connect with me uh somewhat the bulk of my work is um with inwardbound.nl in the netherlands so we have a a training coming up uh introduction to psychedelic therapy training so this is for anybody who's interested in learning to be a psychedelic facilitator it kind of covers all the nuts and bolts and if you want to deepen your practice working with psychedelics or if you're kind of um going on the path of wanting to hold that space yourself we brought together an amazing and broad range of teachers and we have uh you know martin duffy 
Declan Hammond, myself, my business partner, Rob Coffey. Uh, so we cover, you know, shamanism, transpersonal therapists. We have uh, Sophie Adler. She's a, a Berlin resident. Uh, she has a ketamine clinic there. Um, Atira Tan uh, on integration and, um, you know, uh, psychedelic ethics. It's a really amazing comprehensive course. That's starting in, in February. And we're taking late signups if, pe- if people want to tune in. You can watch back the lectures. And then we also have our retreats in the Netherlands. So our five-day retreats with two high doses of uh, psilocybin for anybody who's interested in coming on those, their whole process. And then also I have, you know, men's circles similar to yourself online and men's retreats here in Ireland will be happening again in, in May, our first men's retreat. This will be a, a rite of passage initiation retreat. We held our, our, our third men's retreat there um, just before the end of the year. And that was around rites of passage and an amazing, amazing uh, space, you know, watching your men initiate themselves into manhood, you know, taking ownership of their own lives and a really beautiful space and um, uh, really pushes, pushes you beyond your edge and you'll get the growth that you're looking for. So uh, that's what's kind of coming up for me in the next number of months. And then I also hold some, some online seminars on microdosing and uh, psilocybin mushrooms and how to, how to grow mushrooms, how to, how to uh, forage them and how to work with them uh, safely. So they'll, they'll be online too. So, um, but if anybody wants to drop me a message, probably Instagram is the, the best way these days. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, brother. Thank you for joining me. So Thanks, Nick. It was an absolute pleasure. Hard hitting questions. Uh, really appreciate them as always. Uh, I know you're a man of, of depth and I would expect nothing less. So thanks so much for the work you're doing too. Thank you, brother. <laughs>